Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. So what is the latest battlefront in the culture war? We've tracked how some of these ideas around critical race theory and other things have escaped from the university campuses. They've gone into corporate boardrooms. uh, They've gone into government agencies. And it sounds like from this most recent example, they may even be in high schools, specifically a school called Brearley, which is in the Upper East Side of New York. And one of the parents of one of the pupils in that school joins us now. He's called Andrew Gutman. Hello, Andrew. Hello, how are you? Really well, thank you. So just to set the scene for our audience then, Brearley is a, a private girls' school in the Upper East Side of New York. It's one of those very high-profile, prestigious schools that everyone likes to talk about. It's the kind of in the UK we have places like Eton. It's that kind of place in America. Yes, it's considered one of the top schools in New York City and really in the country, and certainly as an all-girls school, considered maybe the best all-girls school anywhere in the United States, certainly in New York City. So it's very prestigious very hard to get into, you know, a lot of applications for very few spots. And it's really scary what's going on right now. Yeah, so, so tell us the story. Your, your daughter has been there. And, and what were you observing as a parent? What was she talking about when she came home from school? What, what was it that got you worried? So, so just to set the tone, so really is, is in the United States K through 12, which is you start at five or six years old and go all the way through the end of high school. And my daughter has been there since kindergarten. So for the last uh, seven years. And we we picked the school because we thought it was the best education that she could get in New York City. And we were very happy with it. You can always nitpick things about a school, but we really had no major complaints. But you did see over the years some of this, what is now being referred to as critical race theory or what really and a lot of other independent schools in New York call anti-racism initiatives and anti-racism curriculum. You saw it creep into the school's a little bit over the last few years, but really in the last years, uh, since last summer, the events of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, it's been like a switch went off, really night and day, 
of how they've changed curriculums and integrated this into almost every aspect of the school uh, and the indoctrination, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Just what kind of things specifically were you hearing about or seeing in the school? So there, there's a number of things. Um, I'll start with this. First of all, we had to sign a pledge at the beginning of this school year, which we actually referred, uh, refused to do, a community agreement saying, among other things, that we would not only support this, these anti-racism initiatives in the school, but we would help teach this at home. So again, this goes to the sort of indoctrination of this. So what, what exactly is going on in these schools? They're changing curriculums, for example. Uh, in the English literature curriculums, books that they have read, the classics, forever. I mean, it really is, I think, 140 years old or something like that. They are changing them for almost only books uh, that are sort of social justice oriented. The history curriculum so last year. What kind of books have been shuffled out of the curriculum? Can you think of any? Um, I don't know what this year's curriculum is, but but the books like Shakespeare. I'm not saying they've, they've eradicated all of them, but I think of the five books in this year's, uh, my daughter's sixth grade curriculum that they normally have taught, only one remains. The one that remains is the Odyssey. Uh, I believe there was normally Shakespeare in there. I'm not sure 100%. I'm not sure what the other uh, books are. I've heard from other schools, they're even getting rid of books like To Kill a Mockingbird, which you would think is exactly the kind of books you would want to read, uh, but but not. Um, they're, they're going towards sort of this identity politics type, this social justice type, much more recent books, not the classics. Again, history curriculum changing. But it's, it's a lot more than that. Uh, and it's really not just on the race issue. I'll give an example of something my daughter said. I think this was at the beginning of the year. Uh, she came home and said, or she said when I got home, guess what we learned in school today? We learned that you should never hold the door open for somebody disabled because that is a microaggression. Right. And that will make them feel bad. So never hold the door open for someone disabled. So and this is the same, uh, you know, consulting firms that are doing all this racism training. And, and it's, you know, is this the world we want to live in? And is this the things that we want our kids to be learning? So it's not just racism. There's a lot of age inappropriate sexual content that a lot of parents are upset about. And this is starting as early as kindergarten. In other words, for the five and six year olds where they're coming home and really saying, well, you know, I feel guilty for the color of my skin. Why are we so racist? Or there was uh, activity in our class, I've heard that, where uh, when my daughter was in kindergarten and uh, she had to do a sort of a self-portrait and she was told, you know, draw anything you want, draw your freckles, draw the hair the whatever way you want, draw whatever. And now the assignment is uh, draw yourself and the only thing that matters is getting your skin tone right, right? Nothing else matters. So it's this, this as I wrote in my letter, this real obsession with race and what they call these anti-racism initiatives. So it's become pervasive. It's really the main thing that these schools, uh, not, not just in New York City, but especially in New York City, are really focusing on. And I think you know it's divisive, even if it's well-meaning, which I don't think it is, it's divisive, it's counterproductive, it helps segregate, uh, not integrate. Uh, and I think a lot of parents, although very, very scared to speak up, are very upset about the direction of these schools. So you even said there that some Pupils are coming home saying they feel guilty about the color of their skin. That this is this idea of of white privilege or or white supremacy, whiteness being something bad. Uh, is that being taught, as far as you know, in schools? That that is exactly what's being taught. 
Um, and, and again, from, you know, from the earliest ages all the way, you know, up through the high school, although there's a little less you can change about the high school curriculums, which are, you know, geared towards, you know, college and, and what we have here, advanced placement tests. But this is exactly what's being taught. And I have, since my letter came out, and when I sent my letter, I had no idea this would be read uh, all over the country and frankly, all over the world. I never thought it would be read uh, beyond the parents that I sent it to, the 650 families at Brearley. But I received thousands of emails from parents and grandparents and teachers from all over the country. And they are all telling these same stories of their kids coming home saying they are t being taught to feel guilty for the color of their skin. Um, and there, I mean, there's some crazy stories out there. The parents are sort of desperate for how to you know, what to do about this. And we were able to pull our daughter uh, out for next year. And we have you know, other things we could do. Not every family can do that. So this has really become pervasive and very, very fast in this country. It's worth just dwelling on that for a, a moment, because it's, it's quite a lot to put on a child, isn't it? The idea that you might be guilty for your skin tone. It seems surprising that these liberal minded enlightened educators think that's okay. You know, how do you think they got to that point? They're not liberal and education, you know, and enlightened minded. I've said this a number of times is we've, we've sort of lost the enlightenment here. This movement, and I'm just sort of learning about uh, this is this is being taught uh, coming out of postmodernism, this critical race theory movement has been taught in the teachers colleges apparently for decades. And again, has started to creep in the schools over a while. But ramped up in the last year. Um, you know, this is not a liberal in the classical sense movement at all. This is a very illiberal movement, and that goes towards, you know, the indoctrination. The question of do, you know, one question that I really wondered is, does the administration of a school like Brearley, did they really understand what they were bringing into the school when they did this? Because it's really consulting firms that are coming in and doing a lot of this, or doing all of this, frankly. So what, this, these so are kind sure of anti-racism course yes. purveyors who are anti-racism course out of this. purveyors. Yeah, yes. Um, there's a group called Pollyanna, which is the one that does a really in a lot of the independent schools in New York City. I criticized them in my letter, uh, and we had to do mandatory training for parents. We had to do two sessions from this group uh, over Zoom at night, so we actually got to see a lot of what was going on, and that's one of the difficulties. A lot of parents don't realize this is happening. Now, you know, in COVID times where so many kids in this country have been in school via Zoom or, you know, at home, they can, uh, you know, sometimes overhear some of this stuff that their kids are learning. Uh, we were able to see it. Obviously, our daughter tells us some things that are going on, but we had to do these mandatory anti-racism training so we could really see the kind of things that they were talking about, uh, you know, in the school. But this is not a liberal enlightened movement in the least. And, you know, something that I've said is, look, we're not saying you don't teach the stains of American history here. Nobody is saying nobody with you know half a brain is saying don't teach about slavery and don't teach about the Jim Crow laws and don't teach the terrible things that we in this country did to the Native Americans. Right. Nobody is saying not to teach that. But what we're saying is you have to teach, you know, both sides of the story. You have to teach, you know, try to put yourselves in you know, the position of, of, of that time period. Try to understand that the morals and ethics might have been different and don't judge them by today. But most importantly, you know, stop indoctrinating the kids in a certain mindset because what has happened, it's not, again, it's not just 
making the kids feel guilty for the color of their skin. It's kids not, and teachers for that matter, not feeling that they can speak up in class, being really bullied into silence, afraid of consequences if they say the wrong thing. And that's just not an educational environment that should exist anywhere. It sure isn't an educational environment that should exist at a school like Greerly, which has prided itself for, again, 140 years on you know, intellectual bravery, intellectual curiosity, developing these you know, strong, critically thinking girls. And that is exactly the opposite of what they are doing uh, with these anti-racism initiatives. So you talk about being bullied into silence there. Obviously, you weren't. Uh, you took the step of you know, writing down your views. You sent this letter, as you've mentioned, round to all the parents, and you've taken your daughter out of that school. Um, what reaction have you had? Well, there's, there's sort of three sets of reactions. Um, you know, the, the, um, the Twitter reaction, which I ignored, which was, which was silly and, and you know, a lot of nastiness. The Brearley reaction has clearly been very polarizing. We got a lot of support privately. Uh, the school administration reacted very negatively with a very, the, the first letter that the head of school sent out to all the parents was, was very, very silly, very highly criticized. And uh, for a number of reasons, the most, the, the one that was really picked out the most and was noticed by everybody was that she said, you know, our, our high school, our upper school kids were frightened to receive a letter at home. And again, this by, you know, the letter was not sent to the kids, the letter was sent to the parents. But this again goes against everything about trying to raise these intellectually courageous girls, that they were frightened by a letter in the mail or that they were frightened by the words on a piece That's of paper. That's now also a bit of a classic of the genre, isn't it? You, you see this in kind of big cancellations in corporations and stuff as well, that it's a, either it's violence, speech violence, or it's a, aggression, or it's in some way frightening people that someone should express these opinions. Yeah, they, I think that one of the words they used was violated. And this is one of the, and I'll say this, I mean, this, this critical race theory movement has been absolutely brilliant at you know, changing the meaning of words and using them, what I would say inappropriately, you know, in an emotional way, taking a word like violate, which is a very serious word that reminds you of a, you know, rape or something like that, and saying, well, to send a an, a letter in the mail is, is violating. Uh, they are, you know, this this Orwellian newspeak. They have really become masters at this, and it's similar to the way they define racism and the way they define systemic racism, and you know, it goes broader on that. So you're exactly right. Uh, they, the the school and and you know, as part of this movement, is using these words to really bully people into silence because it's very hard uh, to, when someone says violate and you say, oh my goodness, I didn't, you know, wow, I'll take a step back and I won't speak up. And that's really where most parents And what about, are what about the kids? I mean, has your, what's the, what feedback has your daughter got from her friends? Obviously they're sad that she won't be at the same school anymore because they're the ones we care about really, aren't they? I mean, do you have any sense yeah. of, of what the 14 year olds feel about this controversy? That's an interesting question. Um, she's at the age of middle school where these kids, a lot of them are really starting to get indoctrinated into this. And, and that's what's really scary. It's especially true when you get to the upper school and even more so in the university level. But this is where it's starting to happen. So you've got the kids that are, you know, really believe in this stuff, this anti-racism, and they pretty much shunt her. Um, you've got the kids that, that are indifferent or you know, in agreement with, with you know, the, the basic tenets of, of what I wrote and, and not in favor, and they are silenced. 
because they don't want to be bullied for this. So there aren't too many kids. There've been a few kids that have privately shown support, but not too many. I mean, I'll say she's she's remote, so she's not in person in school. So that's made it a lot easier for her. School has been normal, but you're really starting to see this indoctrination. So th those kids, there was there was some bullying aspect of this at the very beginning, where there's some group chats and there was you know people saying, oh, my daughter's you know my parents parents are racist. And the school did, I think, put an end to that because that, that's not really acceptable. But it's difficult. I think that's I imagine, it's, the imagine it's difficult for her. I mean, it's a, you know, you, you've taken this step and a lot of parents wouldn't have done that just because they might feel right. it would be traumatic or difficult for their kid. And so they stay quiet if they're worried about these things. Well, I'll say two things about that, which is when, when we saw the writing on the wall at the beginning of the school year, I thought of sending this letter then back in September. and we decided, no, let, let's try to organize parents. Because I know that the majority of parents are not in favorable of these anti-racism initiatives and to the extent that they've, the school has taken them. And so we talked to a lot of parents and could not get any of them really to speak up. There's a few constituencies that, that did speak up a little bit, but for the most part, parents are, parents are just terrified for a number of reasons of speaking up. So when we decided not to re-enroll her for next year is when I said, you know what, I've got to send this letter. It's the right thing to do. I'll take the hit. And, you know, the reason for it was not to educate anybody because, again, the parents have gone through these anti-racism trainings. Uh, they know what's going on in the school. You know, it was not to change anybody's mind, but it was to give parents some cover, really, a little bit of ammunition and some cover to be able to speak up. That was the purpose of the letter. My daughter was was supportive because she she, she and I have always um, talked about history. We, we love history. Um, since she was little, we talk about history. She sees what's going on in the school. She sees that they're, uh, they're eradicating uh, the American history components of school, changing them so drastically where they're not learning about, um, I don't want to offend anybody since this is UK, they're not learning about the American Revolution. Um, they're not learning about the Constitution. And you know, so for her, that's upsetting. And I and then, you know, so she and I agreed, you know, we want her to get a, a better education than she was going to get it at Brearley if, you know, these initiatives continue. So she was supportive. And I'll tell an interesting anecdote, which was the school administration. The teachers have been great, but the school administration, the head of school, you know, they, they've been a little bit nasty. They, they sent, you know, one letter to me. They've excommunicated me. I'm not allowed to have anything to do with the school. I can't even send an email. There's Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. But is the head of school not a teacher? I'm just, I'm just interested in this distinction between the teachers and the administrators, because one of the other things you notice is it's quite often the administrative component within organizations that are pushing these ideas even more than the teachers. I suppose the analogy in media organizations would be that you know, there are non-journalists within newspapers also seem to be pushing these ideas. I'm just wondering whether there's any truth in that idea. It's a mix. It's a mix, and, and what I've and I've talked to uh, people at a lot of schools. The younger teachers that have been trained in this through the teachers' colleges, and I don't want to put an age on it, but generally the younger teachers are very into this anti-racism, very into this critical race theory, very into this social justice, and they're pushing it where they have the ability to change curriculums. They are pushing this. The older teachers tend not to be. Uh, some of the really, really good teachers who have been there for a long time, especially in the history and English departments, they're retiring because they don't want to do this, but but they don't feel like they can speak up for the most part. Um, so there's really a sort of a dichotomy between you know, the younger teachers. I mean, I'm stereotyping a little bit, but you know, at least if really, this is really coming from the top. So uh, Andrew, let, let, just to zoom out for a minute, because we, we had a bit of a similar um, interview on our show a few months ago with a, a teacher at Eton, the, the British school. Um, and what I think will surprise people is that this, the cliche, the stereotype is that these sort of liberal citadels like New York, like affluent parts of England, um, they're okay with these ideas. And in fact, that's where they're really flourishing, but it's the rural areas or it's the kind of red states that are rejecting them. But you're there in the Upper East Side of New York is the absolute heart of the liberal citadel. And then we've seen this rebellion that you're leading. So, you know, my question is, do you think there is the beginnings of a pushback even in places like New York City? Yes, there is the beginnings of a pushback. This is a long fight. We, we really are at the beginning stages of this, but there, I, we are trying to organize resistance, not just at the per school level, but at the independent school level in New York City. Uh, I talked to a group yesterday that is trying to do the same thing in the New England area, which is another, you know, Boston and, and the environment is another very liberal, tip, you know, traditionally liberal uh, area of the United States. Absolutely, there is beginning, beginning to be resistance. You know, as I said, most of the parents are not in favor of this. This is really a movement in, in the United States of, you know, a small minority, maybe it's 10 percent of these very progressive, what I would call them, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, illiberal, not very well educated uh, and, and frankly, you know, Marxist group 
that is pushing this, but they push this so hard and they push it on social media that they're able to silence, uh, you know, bully the rest of us into silence. But there is absolutely starting to be a realization that this is happening in these schools in New York City and elsewhere. There is starting to be real pushback, uh, even amongst liberals, even amongst people that, you know, describe themselves as Democrat, having never voted Republican in their lives. They're realizing that this is really dangerous. It's not just the race aspect of it. It's the, the inability to have free speech, free speech without fear, free thought in the classroom, critical thinking, this indoctrination. So this goes much, much beyond just this critical race theory. And this is happening, as you, as you said earlier, in corporations here. It's happening in the military. It's happening in the government. We're seeing new stories every day at the university level, which is even worse. This, this loss of the traditional liberalism, of the founding principles of this country, this is really scary. And then add on the divisiveness that this is causing. So again, long-winded answer. Yes, you are starting to see pushback, but it's really hard because until we can get more parents to not be terrified of speaking up, it's, it's really hard to get those numbers together. How do you think it um, dovetails with ideas of privilege? That's the other factor in this complex equation. Uh, you know, it, the, the cliche once again is that more affluent people who are commonly living in the cities are more likely to be signed up to some of these more fashionable ideas and they are driving it. Um, is your experience that wealth uh, and, you know, clearly Brearley is an expensive private college, I imagine the parents there are generally wealthy, are they more likely to be signed up to these dogmas or are they more likely to kind of have the freedom to not really care whether people dislike them because they've got enough money in the first place? Okay, I'll sort of give you two answers to that. Uh, or three answers. One is that this has become now pervasive at schools all across the country. All 50, I think I have emails from all 50 states, people, about private schools and public schools. This is even becoming into public what we call public schools, which are the ones that the state pays for that parents don't. I know it's different terminology in the UK. Uh, even in the states like Florida and Texas, the red states, where the governors have been strong about trying to keep this out, but they're not been able to. Okay, so that, that's my first answer. I think these expensive schools have gone further on this, partially because they have the money to bring in these fancy consultants. That's part of it. Also, they feel this white guilt, uh, which goes towards you know the, the privilege, but it's really sort of the white guilt aspect. Last answer to the question, which is, you would think that you know sort of these rich families would be able to say, hey, we have enough money. We got to take our kids. We, we care about education, right? We got to put our kids in a school where they're actually going to learn critical thinking. My experience has been the opposite, which is the wealthier the fam in the family, and there are you know billionaires on the board of trustees of schools like Brearley. The wealthier the families, the less likely they are to speak up because the more they feel they have to lose. And this is the whole cancel culture aspect of it. Historically, people send their kids to schools like this for the education. That's not mostly true anymore. Uh, some people do, we did, but for the most part, it is for the status symbol. You know, you get your kid into a school like Brearley, into a university like Harvard, it's the status symbol first. You don't want to lose that. Second, it's for the admissions to universities. These are feeder schools towards these Ivy Leagues, the Harvards, the Princetons, the Yales. So the last thing you want to do is piss off the school so that they aren't helpful to your child uh, for all the recommendations they need when it comes to college admissions. Third, it's the network. And again, you get ostracized by a lot of folks, as, as we have, 
uh, if you come out publicly with views, even even you know not to take the extreme view we did, but even to express anything against the school, you run the risk of getting ostracized. Uh, and then fourth, I think is yes, is the education. But those first three things make it that much harder for uh, you know wealthy connected families. Um, it, it is very hard for those kind of people that are on the board of trustees of these schools to speak up against what's going on, even if they are not in favor of what's going on. What's so interesting is that the, the structure of this incentive is such that even though you might hope that more powerful people, richer people, people who have means to run their own lives and they don't give a shit what people think about them, those people are actually more frightened of stepping out of line because they've got more to lose, is what you're saying. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. So how come you, yeah, you dared to do it then, Andrew? How come you took the step when so many other parents did not? Yeah, I, I, a couple of things. I think one is that I am really passionate about education. And that's been something that I've always been passionate about. I've always had this dream of starting my own school. Now it might actually happen. We'll see. Um, so that's one thing. I, I think that a lot of it was I'm not professionally cancelable. And so if I had worked at a big firm, a Goldman Sachs, a McKinsey, a big law firm, you run the risk of losing your job uh, immediately if you come out and do something like I did. So the fact that I wasn't cancelable meant I could do this. And thirdly, I just thought, like, somebody has to take a stand. We have to start speaking up. We are literally seeing these schools destroyed, in my view. And we are literally seeing this country fracture, uh, losing our core principles, you know, the classical liberal principles of this country. We are going to see divisiveness. We are going to see ethnic strife if we don't stop this, uh, what is going on. And I just thought, you know what, somebody has to take a stand. And again, I never expected my letter to go viral and to be read by any more than the parents of my daughter's school. But I just thought, you know what, this is the right thing to do. You're thinking about organizing potential alternative school. What would this school look like? It would be a school based on classical liberal principles or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, call it what we, we call um, secular classical education which doesn't really exist in New York City. A lot of what is called classical education tends to be religious oriented. So this has to be secular classical education based on the classics, you know, the Western civilization type with a much stronger focus in history and civics, which I think are the most important things that kids should learn. And history is probably the subject in the United States of all the academic subjects that gets the least amount of attention. A lot of math and English are the two core subjects. I think ideally they should be history and science. Um, so it's, it's different. And do you think there'd be a market for it? Yes, I know there is because I have talked to many, many parents. I have talked to educators uh, and I have started to talk to philanthropists that might be interested in funding something like this. There is enormous interest in doing this and not just in New York City. If we can do this in New York City and use this, and again, this is very, very beginning stages, you know, idea stages. But if we could do this in New York City and use this as a model or template to build other private non-for-profit schools across the country, we need that because we need new schools. They can't be the you know 57,000 US dollars kind of tuition that a Brearley is. They have to be more affordable. They have to get financial aid. They have to be open to not just elite children, but there is a desperate need for just a really good school. And how would you stop? I mean, I'm interested in a, in a way it's parallel to alternative media. Uh, and, and what Unheard is doing, how would you stop such a new school being instantly dismissed as a right-wing 
institution or a kind of extremist place that no good parent would want to send their child. What steps could you do to prevent that happening before it did? Look, I, I think you have to get the message right. You, you need the right funding. If you're just taking, you know, very right-wing funding, it, it becomes a conservative right-wing school. It cannot be a conservative right-wing school. And that, frankly, that's not me, even though, you know, I've gone on TV now and I'm, everyone thinks I'm some Trump-supporting right-wing conservative. That's, that's I'm, you know, sort of the unheard type of, of crowd, um, you know, politically homeless. So the messaging clearly has to be right. This is about a good school that teaches critical thinking. Look, I don't mind if the school wants to teach something like, you know, white fragility, uh, you know, Kennedy's type book, as long as you also at the same time are assigning books by, for example, Shelby Steele or Glenn Lowry. Teach both sides. Let the kids decide for themselves. This is the messaging that has to be you know, has to be very, very strong, because you're absolutely right. If this is just an anti-woke school, or if this is just a conservative school, it fails in New York City. It might succeed elsewhere, but it absolutely fails in New York City. You're gonna get terrible press. And, and it can't just be for elite kids, because then you run the risk of, hey, this is just for the elite, you know, white, grumpy, nasty parents. No, it has to be across the board um, for anybody, any family of any race, that is passionate about their kids' education and is willing to commit to their kids' education. That, that's, I think it's hard. I think getting the messaging right is hard. Wow, well, um, Andrew Gutman, thank you so much. You heard it here first, that we may be seeing the beginnings of new institutions coming out of these uh, hothouse incidents. So thank you for telling us about that. Thank you for having me, and I hope that's the case. We need them. That was Andrew Gutman joining from New York. Thanks to him, he was, until very recently, a parent at the Brearley School for Girls in the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York. Hard to think of an establishment more directly catering for the metropolitan elite than that one. And yet still, even there, in the heart of the liberal citadel, as we heard, there is the beginnings of a pushback against some of these more extreme ideas around critical race theory and anti-racism that we have been investigating here at Unheard. Thanks to him for telling us about it, and thanks for watching. This was Lockdown TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.